Welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about co-parenting, separation, divorce, and the hardest question of all, should you stay or should you go? I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and I'm here to help you navigate some of the roughest waters you've ever swum in and answer some of your toughest questions. I've been to hell and back, and now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey everyone. Okay, this week's episode is like a total fucking fangirl episode for me. I have been following Zon Villains for I don't even know how long. She posted a viral Facebook post years ago that Facebook, I think uh, she said, took it down. <laughs> I share her work all the time. I share her work in my Facebook group. We talk about her all the time. I absolutely adore her. And she is my guest this week. Totally mind-blowing for me. For those who don't know, Zahn is a feminist activist and writer who focuses on misogyny in motherhood and marriage. Her work argues that mothers are central to the feminist project and that fathers must participate equally in household and parenting labor. She believes that inequality in marriage is a primary driver of sexism and that it limits women's lives and futures. And she has the data and the research and the numbers to back it up. This is a long one, so I want to dive right in. This is my conversation with Zahn. Zahn, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast this week. Um, I have a feeling I'm going to have to have you back a few times <laughs> because of the incredible amount of uh, the body of work that you put out is just amazing. Amazing. <laughs> I don't know how you do it. Well, <laughs> well, thank you for having me. I'm I'm super excited. You know, the first thing I want to ask you is that you have a good marriage. You yeah. have a husband who works full time. He's a litigator, right? If I'm, is that right? He is. And he also manages to do his fair share <laughs> of mm -hmm. household labor and, uh, you know, raising your children and all of those things. How did you get into writing about all of this inequity when you kind of are living I mean, the dream, in a sense. <laughs> <laughs> That's a hard question. So I, I came to feminism earlier in my life than I think a lot of women did. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was aggressively identifying as a feminist at a time when like that meant you couldn't make friends. Um, <laughs> it was a bad it, word. Yeah. In third grade, I got sent to the principal's office for standing up and going on a rant about uh, pro-choice politics. Oh, um, my God. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> Much to both the horror and pride of my parents who like weren't sure whether to be like, well, we can't do that at school or like burn the motherfucker down. Like I kept <laughs> kind of dealing with that incongruity. You could feel that as a mother, right? You could feel that as a parent being like, yes, yes but also, yeah. ooh, honey. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So I had a lot of time to think about what marriage meant, what heterosexual relationships meant. I had some good relationships, some mediocre ones. I luckily didn't have any like really horrible ones. It just became clear to me that most women were being mistreated in their relationships. Now, in your early 20s, what that looks like is like cheating and this like commitment phobia and this like subtle like nagging sort of stuff. You know, I remember the narrative among my friends was like, that's just how men are. And I feel like that narrative in my 30s has become, that's the narrative around household labor and all of that. So, so, so the roundabout answer to your question is, I was very clear that I thought those men were trash, that I didn't want any fucking thing to do with them, and <laughs> that I wasn't, I wasn't going to do that. I met my husband, and it was like, I mean, not love at first sight, but it was like pretty close. You know, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, he, he moved in with me after our second date. So oh my God, <laughs> which is like, it's not how you're supposed to do things. No, um, everybody listening. That's, you know what I think about that. That's not right. Don't do that. It's, but it's not it, right. sometimes Don't it works. Right. You're but, the exception that proves the rule. 
Well, it was very contingent. And and I was very aggressive about asserting what I wanted from the very beginning. I made him fill out an application to be my boyfriend. <gasps> yes. I also don't recommend doing that exactly, but I do recommend like having a list of questions that you're going to ask and that if they fail any of those questions, they don't proceed any further. Mm. You know, my husband was was like really into me from day one, you know, therefore was willing to like give me what I want. And I, I really think that's a missing element from a lot of heterosexual relationships. I think most men don't actually like women. I think most women are with men who don't actually like them. They're just a warm mm-hmm. body. And mm-hmm. so it was very important to me that if I was going to be in a long-term relationship with someone, it was going to be passionate and romantic and full of love and also like a real partnership. Yes. So like at every stage of our early life, I was screening for that. You know, we were talking about all of this before we got married, before we had kids. We had long talks about, you know, really intricate details of like child discipline and child rearing and and all of this. You know, we had a plan when you're talking about getting into a marriage with someone is like building a business with somebody, except that you're in it ostensibly forever. You know, we wanted to make sure that we had a good plan for this thing that we were building together. And I I think that's ultimately why we were able to build something good. That and, you know, I didn't give a fuck if I ended up single because I am not going to be with some piece of shit who insults me, who steals my time, who steals my life. So I didn't feel the pressure to just find someone. Yes. And I think that is key, right? Because so many of us, go into dating especially in our early 30s right we're we're when we're in our early 30s like the t- the clock is fucking ticking and i remember having a complete emotional breakdown when i turned 30 with my then boyfriend now ex-husband because you know we'd been dating for 2 years and he hadn't proposed and i was making more money than he was and how was i ever going to um have a baby and how were we ever go- like i mean i had like a full blown panic attack on my 30th birthday about all of that and now i look back i'm like i was a baby <laughs> you know but that is the way that we are um we are cultured we're conditioned most women don't date in certainly not in their 30s or late 20s or 30s with the idea that like, I don't give a fuck if I'm single, eliminates our power. Yes. And the other thing that happens is, you know, we have culturally stigmatized mothers as stupid, incompetent, uncool, boring people who you do not want to be like and who you do not want to listen to. And so what happens is the younger generation looks at mothers and sees that they're suffering, but they blame the victim. Or, and they just assume, well, it's not going to be that way for me because I'm young, because I'm hot, because I don't know, I'll just get lucky. When I was young, my friends were not listening to the older generation of women who were saying like, here's what happens if you get into a bad marriage. And we just replicate that generation after generation. I now see when I talk to women in their 20s, they're very skeptical of me. And I'm like, yo, like I am living the dream. Like I have what you want. You know, my husband is awesome. He's an activist. He's also incredibly hot. And like, Mm. you know, maybe you should listen to me, but we don't think mothers are worth listening to. Right. We also think like, oh, well, that's not going to happen to me. Right. Like not just because I'm hot or I'm this or that, like, that's not going to happen because I'm, I'm, I'm too smart. I'm smarter than that. But you can't like smart your way into this not happening. You just, that's right. That's right. It's not going to magically work out. And I think the abuse of, of women is sort of the, you know, cultural underpinning of our society. You know, it happens to really smart women. It happened to me. It happened, you know, it happens to, it happens. And, you know, smart women are, are far more fun and more of a challenge (laughs) for men to abuse when it is the thread that weaves the fabric together. You can't avoid it because you're smart. I think that the key is you have to be willing to be single because there's, there are not enough good men out there and there aren't enough men who are willing to learn how to be good men. And so you're going to have to be okay with it's better to be single than to be abused by someone who doesn't do anything worthwhile for the rest of my life. Amen. 
And I can attest to that. And I know that when you are, uh, when you're a woman in your early thirties, that sounds, uh, terrifying because it also means that if you have the biological urge or, you know, emotional desire for children, you know, you think you need a man. Really, all you need is is sperm. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's the way resource that is readily available. Readily um, available, right? Exactly, exactly. But I, I want to go back to your original question real quick because I, I want to yeah. expand on like how I started posting about this. So yeah, you know, I I knew that most heterosexual relationships were garbage, um, and like I didn't want them, but I thought they were like a different kind of garbage. I thought they were just like not meaningful partnerships, not that fun, not that strongly built in love. Mm-hmm. But like, okay, just not for me. Um, and then I had my daughter and I started joining online mommy groups. Oof. And <laughs> oh my fucking God. Like, That's a fucking dumpster fire. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, I just had a baby and I had, you know, like I ripped back to my butthole. And <laughs> like, am I bad for not making my husband dinner tonight? Are yeah, I mean, you fucking for, right? Yeah, like what? Bad for not murdering him, like mm-hmm. poison him. You know. Yeah. So after like a year or two of that, I posted like I was up nursing my daughter and I was pregnant with my second, and I just like posted like a rant on my my personal Facebook. And I don't know for some reason. I mean, I've been posting rants for years, but that one like went viral. I remember and, that. I remember yeah. that. Okay, 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 okay. Yes, yeah, that was you. Oh my god, I totally remember that. <laughs> It did go viral. Yep. I was already a writer. Like that's, that's been my job for years and years and years, but, um, I I didn't write about feminism too much. I I do write some like reproductive justice and like health stuff. So I kind of like knew, okay, I need to like silo this somewhere. So I just like made a Facebook page, started posting about it. There was a lot of crossover with my work since I write about reproductive justice. I have all the data on like postpartum bullshit, basically. So I, you know, I started writing about that and it just like, it took off. And the thing that I was so struck by is that 15 years ago, like I could not say my radical feminist stuff without my friends being like, uh, you need to calm down mm-hmm, now. Mm-hmm. Like I just say whatever's in my head yeah. and people show up on my page and they're like, burn the motherfucker to the goddamn ground. Cause like, that's how people <laughs> feel after a yeah. couple of years of marriage. It's like, that's what radicalizes that's ex- people. I think. Exactly. I a hundred percent, but you know, so I do remember that Facebook post for, for those of you, for those who did not see me share it a bunch of times everywhere. Can you just sort of give the bullet points about what that was about, what you were saying about, you know, I, I gave some like greatest hits from mom groups mm-hmm. and I just sort of ranted about how, you know, these men are contributing nothing. And I talked about my husband. Cause again, this was like for my friends. Um, right. you know, and I said something, so my husband is a civil rights litigator, which is like widely considered to be like the most stressful field of law. Mm. And, you know, I said something like if he can be exposed to like constant trauma every day and then like come home and, you know, be an equal partner, then like, you know, Johnny do nothing who has like no aspirations and nothing of value he's contributing to society can like definitely pick up some slack around the fucking house. And yeah, and ultimately Facebook deleted it as hate speech because apparently saying men can do household chores is incitement to violence, which I I guess maybe it is. It's inciting a revolution, perhaps, right? I want to come back to your Facebook because you have a you have a campaign going right now. (laughs) Yes, I'm at war with Facebook. Yes, girl, same. But we'll talk about that. Uh, we'll, we'll come back to that. Um, <laughs> we're all, you can't say men are anything without mm. it getting deleted and flagged. And, you know, but yet we can receive dick pics. So there you go. So, okay, let's talk about you recently did a state of household inequality survey. Yes. And there were some, I will tell you, I was rereading this this morning in preparation for this interview. And I had a full-blown anxiety attack. I mean, Mm -hmm. full-blown. I was, I don't even know if it was an anxiety attack. Maybe it was rage. The feelings are quite similar inside, you know, inside with my heart racing and (laughs) all of that. It's rage-inducing and it's also anxiety-producing. So let's talk about some of the statistics in that survey, if you don't mind. Yeah. Going through the data, because I had like a free answer section and I had like hundreds of women give me free answers about their lives. I mean, it was like serious secondary trauma. I was actually getting angry at my husband 
even though he is not like these people, like it was affecting my marriage. So I would have to read the data and then like walk away from it for a couple of days because it was just so overwhelming how tragic these women's lives were and often how much they thought they deserved it. You know, so many women would preface their comments with, well, he really tries to do his fair share, but sometimes he just calls me a piece of shit and a cunt. Because, you know, he's trying and it's just, you know, she's a piece of shit in the cunt and he has to say that sometimes. It's it's amazing. I mean, it really is. I I have a Facebook group that's got about 12,000 women in it and most of them are being abused. And so reading, I've had to really uh, work on my own self-care and boundaries around reading my Facebook group because there are hundreds of posts every day. It's It's a very mm-hmm. active group and it can be very traumatizing. And I went through a couple of years of really taking it on. And it's very, very, very difficult. And the boundaries are incredibly important in holding holding that. Yeah. But one of the great things about it is that you you hear other your story and other women and your and their, you know, people's responses to other women help them, right? Because it's one thing I think when they're when they're sending it to you in private or they're writing their story in private. But when they're posting it in a group and they're getting feedback or they're reading other people's posts in the group and they are appalled and outraged and realize how much it mirrors their own situation, like there's so much healing happening there. Yeah. So just to like highlight like some of this data. So I did this for two reasons. One is that I just wanted to look at what inequality looks like in relationships and how it functions and what props it up. But the other thing is I had a hunch that like the advice that we give to women is bullshit because like it is, mm-hmm. you know, we tell them things like just ask and then he'll do it. And and I just, mm-hmm. I wanted proof that like that won't work. Yeah. So, you know, one of the big data points is the average number of times women report discussing household labor inequality over the last year was 27. So they are discussing this every two weeks, like their husbands know there's a problem. I mean, they also know there's a problem because men are not stupid. And like, they know that food comes from somewhere and someone cleans the house, but they're constantly talking about it. You know, then the other thing is like, we, we don't acknowledge how abusive household labor inequality is. And we don't acknowledge that what happens to women when they bring it up is they get abused. So I asked women what their partners did when they brought up household labor inequality. 84% yell at their partners, which let's be clear, yelling at your partner on like an ongoing basis, that is abuse. That is abuse. You know, everybody Mm -hmm. has lost their temper. And if you apologize, like maybe it's okay, but like, it's not normal to be yelled at. Like people need to hear this. So 84% yell at their partners. 52% call their partners names. Like what the fuck? Let's be clear. This is when you're going to your partner and saying, I have a problem and I need, I need you to, I feel overwhelmed. I'm like, I'm freaking out. I need you to step it up. Yeah. They're getting abused for that. Yeah. They're, they're like saying she's a bitch. So here's what some of the people told me in the free answer section about like what that looks like. Um, he tells me he doesn't get enough sex. He Hmm. rapes me. I am experiencing DV and he often sexually assaults me. Mm-hmm. Silent treatment, argue, and then he tells me I'm a bad mother. Right. Stuff like that. Um, yep. So let's see. Yep. 21% throw objects, 19% break objects, 17% assault their partners, 30% threaten divorce, you know, 18% threaten their partners. And I wish I had broken that down further, but you know, hmm. I think threaten your partners means like threats of physical violence or something similar. Okay. Yeah. Um, just, just horrific. Um, so this is what women are dealing with when they ask men to participate in the lives of the children they made. Like, right. like really, this is what we want to send our daughters into. So one of the statistics that was, you know, shocking and sad to me was that 65% said that they would get divorced if they weren't worried about post-separation abuse yes. and retaliation. And I, so I've done a few of these surveys about different topics like postpartum mm-hmm. and marriage generally. Mm-hmm. That statistic is consistent across all of the surveys. Like no matter what the population I'm surveying, whether it's postpartum women or women in unequal relationships or just generally married women, yeah. between 65 and 75% say that they would get divorced right now if they could. And when they say if they could, 
they are citing fear of post-separation abuse, fear of, of leaving, of, uh, uh, well, <laughs> let's get to the court system, right? Fear of, of not uh, being able to protect their children. What else are they citing yeah. in that, their fear? Okay. So the first question was, has, have you considered divorcing your partner? Mm-hmm. And 80% said yes to that. Mm-hmm. And then I asked, if you did not have to worry about finances, child custody, or ongoing post-separation abuse, would you divorce your partner today? And 65.25% said yes. It's shocking and yet it's not. It's not at all. It's yeah. not at all shocking. Yeah. One of the other data points that I thought was really interesting was uh, with stay-at-home dads and about how yes. how little domestic labor uh, stay-at-home yeah. dads do. Like they're like, they're doing less. Sh- they're doing they're doing less than working dads. Yeah, they're doing less than working dads. They're doing less than any other group. So stay-at-home dads do 17% of the total household labor workload and they do 21% of parenting tasks. Um 74% of women breadwinners say they have lost opportunities because of their stay-at-home dad partners. Yep. Um they rank their marital happiness on a scale of one to 10, a two. Yes, I saw that. God, a two. Why are they losing opportunities? Because they they don't have time. You know, I, I asked them <sighs> to give me like free answers about this, but they don't have time. You know, they uh-huh. have to rush home to clean. They have to leave work to pick up the kid at school because their like worthless husband is too busy playing video games or masturbating or whatever it is he's doing. You know, they can't give their all at work because they have this constant distraction at home, the entire purpose of having a stay-at-home spouse is to have someone take care of the kids and household while the working partner is gone so that the Mm -hmm. working partner can excel at work. And men who work get that benefit. That's right. Even if their partners also work. Um, Mm -hmm. But women who work do not. And, And one of the most... One of the most interesting things that I've seen is there is this, we have this cultural view of women as like not working, even when they do work for pay outside of the home. That's right. You know, yeah. people talk to me like I don't work. And and when I finally am able to convince them that I work, then they treat my job as secondary. You know, so so that's an interesting like subplot. But it becomes clear why we have that when we look at the data on women who work outside of the home. So they work an average of 44 hours per week. And yet they still do 75% of parenting labor and 78% of household labor. So no wonder we want to frame them as not working because then we can excuse just treating them as servants in their homes. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. You found that men create an additional 11 hours of work for women. Yes. Every, what is that, week? Every week. Every Um, week. So this is, this is distinct from, you know, women having to do more than their fair share. This is actual additional work men create. So some examples that women gave me is their partners would fuck shit up and they'd have to fix it. You know, they'd go down to the kid's school and they'd pick a fight or they would leave a mess in the house. Or they would, you know, leave a moldy lunchbox in the car and, you know, everything would mold. It it was often their partners messing things up, you know, showing up at the parent-teacher conference and acting like an asshole and creating conflict at school. You know, but it was also like, you know, women just reported like following their partners around, cleaning up a trail of filth that their partners created. Um, There was also a lot of work spent dealing with their partner's parenting shortcomings. You know, overwhelmingly, my readers are people who spend a lot of time researching parenting and who say that their partners absolutely refuse to learn how to parent. They never won't read anything. read the books. They never read the books. They book. won't read anything. Nope. They won't talk about anything. Yep. And so they just parent by intuition. And like, you can't because parenting is hard. And also there, in, I remember my, my ex said to me one day, we were having a fight about parenting where, you know about which I had read all of the books and blogs and all of the things. And, and he was like, you know, I have instincts too. And I was like, but they're wrong. They're bad. They're bad. They're literally bad. (laughs) And my instincts are based on research. They're based on research. There was a lot of like, you know, my daughter has autism 
And, you know, she gets really anxious at school and I went out of town for work and my husband yelled at her every morning and now she won't go to school. Like that kind of like the partner creating additional work. So then the mom's got to find a new therapist and she's got to set up occupational therapy and she's got to like, you know, coax the daughter out of the bedroom. I, I, at some point I'm going to get around to like surveying people about parenting because the picture that keeps emerging Oh. is one where women are just constantly managing their partner's appalling parenting shortcomings. And now for a quick word from our sponsor. The all-new, fully revised, Should I Stay or Should I Go? After three years of this program existing in the world and changing women's lives, I decided to give it a full makeover. The all-new version has all-new videos, a podcast-like audio stream if you want to take the work on the go, and completely updated resources for deepening your learning. The program consists of six core modules, the first of which is Who Are You? This is the section in which you dig deeply into your own personal development and get in touch with your inner guide, slay your inner critics, mine for values, and learn how to set healthy boundaries. The second module is how you learn to love and helps you understand your attachment style, love languages, and how to properly love and care for the most important person in all of this, yourself. Module three is called, Why Are Women So Exhausted? And breaks down some of the issues around toxic masculinity and male entitlement, the myth of being a stay-at-home mom, and answers the question, he's fine. Why can't I just be happy? Module four is all about understanding abuse and includes videos on trauma bonds, understanding the cycles of abuse, particularly how they play out in your own relationship and addresses addiction, infidelity, and mental illness. Module five is all about healing and moving forward and includes videos about therapy, couples therapy, healing from betrayal, emotional regulation, and grief. This section also includes my 90-minute workshop, Tackling Codependence, as well as my signature relationship inventory that will help you gain complete clarity on all the parts of your marriage and figure out what's his and what's yours. And module six answers the question, is the grass really greener on the other side? With in-depth videos on dating, cultural and religious isolation, and what happens if you end up alone forever? Spoiler, you probably won't. Whether you decide to stay or go, this program will set you up for a lifetime of clarity and fulfillment. And if you've already decided to go, the program will help you unpack all that's happened and help you heal so that you can move forward without repeating the same mistakes that got you here in the first place. This program is priced super low at just $697. And if you use the code PODCAST, when you check out, you'll get $50 off the full price. What are you waiting for? You have been agonizing with this decision for long enough. It's time to finally know, should you stay or should you go? And now back to our episode. What about the, but he's a really good dad. Oh God. You know, no, he's not. Like if you have to say that, he's not. Right, Um, right, exactly. No, the fuck he isn't. The point of origination for that is that we act as if parenting is not hard. And we Mm. act as if parenting is not skilled labor. The reason that we do that is because it's mostly women who parent. Whether they work outside of the home or are full-time parents, we do not want to acknowledge that women are smart and thoughtful and doing really challenging, difficult work. Of course, not all of course, not all women are good mothers. Like, yes, blah, blah, blah. But right. parenting is really fucking hard. And to do it even with mediocrity requires incredible skill, incredible emotional intelligence. It's exhausting. Yeah. So we start yeah. with this point of not acknowledging that parenting is skilled work. Uh-huh. And then from there, we decide, well, then there's not really any standard. If you just, you know, if you don't murder the children as a father, that's fine. But mm-hmm. of course, everything mothers do is wrong. So we hold women to a standard that none of us can possibly reach ever. You, no matter what you do, it's wrong. Yep. And then we decide for men that there are no standards. And then men weaponize that against their partner of, well, there's there's not a book on parenting. Like there are millions of books on parenting and there's not a right or wrong way to parent. And actually like there, there are right ways to parent and wrong ways to parent. Like we have mm-hmm. scientific research on it and, and mm-hmm. women read that research and men mostly don't. 
Right. So I think that's where the, but he's a really good dad thing comes from. It's just mm-hmm. like, if he's not beating the kids, like he's great. There's that bit of it of mm-hmm. like men being incompetent with children. But also if you're a bad husband who treats your wife badly, you're a bad dad because you're you. modeling that to your kids. Now, right. you know, if you and your partner are divorced, you know, you don't have to like your partner. You don't have to love your partner. You don't have to have a happy marriage, but you do have to treat your partner with respect and you do have to treat them as a co-parent. And and men who don't do this are bad dads, like 100%. Like, sorry, he sucks. Yeah. A hundred percent. I hear all the time, like he abuses me and he's, but he's a great dad. And I'm, and I always say what you say. No, he's not. No, yeah. the fuck he's not. Because a great dad does not abuse the child's mother, plain and simple. Yeah. They don't, you know, I used to say, the same thing that my, that my ex-husband was like, you know, he was abusive to me. He cheated on me. He did all of the things, you know, but he, but he was a great dad until I was like, wait a minute, a great dad does not destabilize the foundation of the family. That is not like a great dad protects the whole, you know, both parents, right. Protect the family as a unit Mm -hmm. and honor all parties in it. It's bonkers. It's unbelievable. And and I think there's also this idea, every mother has been called a bad mom, uh-huh, often, right. often yep. by her shitbag husband. But mm-hmm. we have this idea that we can't, we can't tell dads they're bad dads because what happens if you criticize a man? He's very likely <laughs> to get violent. And, and, you know, you tell, you tell a man he's a bad dad, you know, well, maybe he'll act like a bad dad. So we're, we're very reluctant to admit that like, most men suck as fathers. They really do. You have a blog post about it, right? About like, what is a good dad? Yeah, I just wrote about it a couple of weeks ago. And like, it's, you know, I wasn't that happy with it because there's a lot that goes into being a good dad. And I think like making a list kind of ignores how much work it really is. But, you know, I thought it was a starting point of like, if you don't see your husband doing these things, like, like just divorce his ass and be done with it. Like, get the fuck away. I mean, oh, so let's talk about divorce since this is the Divorce Survival Guide podcast and and you this part of this is in your survey, right? That divorced women are happier. Mm-hmm. Right? This is yeah. was this in the survey? So I didn't ask directly about this. Um, there's a lot of scientific research showing that like bad marriages are bad for women's health in a way that they're not bad for men's health. Um, mm-hmm. men just benefit from marriage more than women do. Women who leave their marriages are happier. And like if we're looking at like qualitative data, like hundreds of women like put in their comments like I wish I had divorced my husband earlier. You know, the advice that I want to give women is like leave at the first sign of a problem. So, you know, I've, I've never been divorced. Mm -hmm. I, I watched my mom go through a divorce with my dad Mm -hmm. and, you know, it it was life-changing for her. It made her life so much better. Well, I am divorced and I can tell you my life is exponentially better. And I am one of those people that I'm, you know, I know that marriage is great for men and women's, my quality of life would likely decrease if I were to remarry. And so I'm, I am single by choice at this point because until and unless, and similar to the way that you were uh, before you met your husband, and I wish I had been this way in my twenties, but until and unless I meet someone who is going to actually uh, contribute and to and enhance my life, I'm not giving it up. And, you know, so far, (laughs) so far, I haven't found anybody. So I think that framing marriage in terms of what a good marriage can offer to women is, is helpful Mm. because, you know, my marriage has multiplied my opportunities. Mm. Um, You know, my husband and I just talked about, let's cut down on your paid writing work a little bit so you can focus on the feminist writing. And like, I can be comfortable that he's not going to weaponize that against me. Right. And like, also we have an arrangement to like protect me if he ever went nuts and actually did weaponize that against me. So, you know, a good marriage can multiply your opportunities. It gives you more time to do things that matter to you. It it helps you have a social buffer. It's someone to do things with. It's someone who is, you know, there for you when life is hard. It should make parenting easier because you have someone to support your parenting decisions. 
it should multiply your wealth, no matter how much money you make or where you're working or whether you're working. It should make you feel safer. It should improve your health because, you know, in theory, you should have more time to like exercise and eat well and pursue things that make you happy. You know, a good marriage is great for people and should radically improve their life. And if a marriage is not doing that, then what is the fucking point? You know, it's good for our mental health. We're not meant to be alone, right? We are, we are creatures of community, but if the person that you're in constant contact with is actually hurting you and diminishing you, then yeah, what is the fucking point? Yeah. And so I'll tell you, so I'm, I'm working on a new survey right now about sex and sexuality, but there's also like a lot of body image stuff. And Mm. I've been going through the data and it's like, it's so upsetting. It's so upsetting the way these men talk to their partners about their bodies, about sex. And I just read these comments and I'm like, I do not want my daughter to have any risk of being involved with a man like this. Like I have to radicalize her so that she understands that like, once you procreate with a man, you are stuck with him forever. So you need to make, you you need to do everything you possibly can to protect yourself. And like, even then you might not be able to protect yourself. Like that's right. Being involved with a man in a sexist society is a huge gamble. It's dangerous. It's actually, I mean, it's dangerous. Yeah. That's, uh, it's dangerous. This is something my husband and I talk about a lot because like, you know, he's on board for like the feminism, but you know, one thing that I have to like remind him of is like, you could change, like you could, you could become a sexist abuser and society would support you in that. It's a gamble for me to be here in a way that it's not for you. And I think that is a message more men need, certainly. And it's a message that women need that you are choosing to involve yourself in with the person who is statistically most likely to kill you, most Mm -hmm. likely to abuse you, most likely to rape you, most likely to kill your children. So you got to be careful. Those are horrible, horrible truths. Horrible truths that every single time a woman, every time we walk out the door, we are essentially putting our lives at risk by the men that we encounter, whether Mm -hmm. that's, you know, on a date or, you know, walking down the street and or whatever it is or being in relationship with. It's dangerous. It is dangerous for us. And we're, you know, we're we're constantly talking and writing about this, you know, Mm -hmm. but nothing changes. First of all, you also write something about uh, like basically like a Cosmo, like a faux Cosmo um, headline, <laughs> which is like, what if we actually said the real thing? <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> I would read that magazine. <laughs> I want to publish and print that magazine. What do you remember what the headline was that you? Oh my God. I don't know. And it's, you know, it's funny because like I, I, come from this world where like, you know, I I come from the world of journalism and then like internet writing. And so like, I'm very good at the like 10 things, blah, blah, blah headline. And I've sort of taken it and turned it on its head with the, with the feminist writing, um, which like I am very amused by. It's so good. It's so good. I really, I wish I could find it because it was so, I, I laughed out loud and I was like, yeah, I want that. I want to actually um, read that magazine. I want to publish that magazine where we actually say, you know, cause we're talking about, I think it was in something where you're talking about all of the things that women are told that we should do in order to get a guy to treat us well, or right. You should oh, have asked yeah. or fair play or <laughs> I mean, any, oh, you know, I what? think it was, um, I think it might've been the not all men hotline or something like that. Um, And and I did write a thing about fair play, which I just like, you know, fair play has contributed significantly to the conversation. Like, I don't necessarily have a problem with the existence of fair play, but it's not enough. And like, for most people, it doesn't solve things and often makes them worse. Because again, when men are confronted with this shit, they often become abusive. Like, it's too late once you're married. It's uh, like, it's too late. Um... You know, I have not heard of a single person who has taken an unequal household and turned it into an equal one, because ultimately this is like an orientation. You know, men either care about women and value their time or they don't. And, you know, if he doesn't value your time, it's not because he doesn't know you're spending time. It's not because he doesn't know that, you know, food arrives in the house some way. It's because he doesn't think that you deserve time as much as he does. 
That's right. You know, and, and people ask me all the time, you know, can abusers change? Can narcissists change? And, you know, from a scientific perspective, no narcissists actually can't, um, even if they wanted to, which they don't. And abusers don't want to change. And and the reasons they don't want to make these changes is because this system works for them. It works very well for them. You know, no one wants to acknowledge the fact that we are asking men to give shit up. That's right. And we're asking men to give shit up to people who they have heard their entire lives are inferior to them and don't deserve things. Mm-hmm. And that's a big ask. And so, you know, yes, maybe anybody can change, you know, they can, a man can stop being abusive right now if he wants to, Uh but most men who are abusive do not want to, they just want to get as much work as they possibly can from their partners. I mean, my husband and I occasionally have disputes about household labor and I never have to convince him that I deserve time. I never have to convince him that household labor is work. You know, we never do any of this like gaslighty shit. It's just like, yo, you're not doing as good of a job on the dishes as I am. So like, step it up. And then, mm-hmm. you know, he's like, oh, okay, I'll do that. And, and and that's what a productive conversation looks like. And if that's not, if that's not what you're having, you know, again, allowing some space for like people get defensive and none of us are as great at communicating as we would like and all of that. But if, if that's not the caliber of conversation you're having about household labor, I don't think it's ever going to change. You know, you say that household inequity is abuse, which I think yeah. is really, it sort of ties into this, right? That like, like you you always say as well, they're not stupid. They know that the groceries came from somewhere. They know that dinner got, didn't get magically cooked. It didn't appear like, you know, Cinderella's birds or whatever. They know that this stuff, shit needs to get done. They're choosing not to do it. And they're choosing yeah. to pile it onto you which makes it abuse. Time is one of the few resources that we can never get back. Our our life is literally made of time and there is a finite amount of it. And once it's gone, it's gone forever. Mm -hmm. And so for someone to steal your time is stealing your life. It's stealing your opportunities. It's stealing your health. It's stealing everything that matters most. And it's not trivial. It's not funny. It's not any of these things that these cartoons make it out to be. It's taking someone's one and only precious life away from them. This is another thing that I say, you know, to my clients and um, all the time is like maybe cliche sort of Mary Oliver, you know, what will you do with this one wild and precious life? But like, really, this is it. This is it. We don't get a part two. We don't get a redo. You don't, you know, this is it. And is this really how you want it to go? Yeah. And and I think that that really needs to be a message that we are somehow getting to young women. Yes. Because that's really where we fix this. This generation of women in so many ways, not necessarily individually, but generationally is fucked because most of them are in bad marriages. We can talk to our daughters. We can talk to our nieces. We can talk to our like neighbor friends and, yeah. you know, maybe save them from this because you save people from it before they get married. You know, I was just talking to someone else about this. And and what I say is getting out of these abusive marriages is changing the narrative for our kids. If we stay, this is the model. And then we we perpetuate it for another generation. If we go, we give our kids the gift of perspective. We allow right. them to say, we allow them to see, you know, like my son. I, you know, I'm not repartnered. I'm not remarried. He doesn't get to see like, oh, this, you know, loving whatever. But what he does get to see is that, you know, perhaps the other household was more toxic and not as healthy or whatever. We'll just leave it there for now. Um, and that, you know, in my house there, it's, you know, it's, it's loving, it's nurturing, um, it's peaceful, it's calm, safe. I, he also has a mother who works her ass off, you know, works her ass off and has created something and, you know, is a radical feminist, and, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, we we're giving them perspective and I feel like the only way we really do shift this for the next generation is for us to, to get out. We may have mm-hmm. gotten into them, but we can get out. And when we get yeah. out, we teach our children that it's okay 
you know, even if I can't show him what a healthy relationship looks like, I can show him what a healthy woman looks like. Right. Right. And, that's and a woman so who's not important. willing to sacrifice herself. Yeah. Exactly. Well, especially exactly. for sons to see what a healthy woman looks like, because then hope, you know, whatever you grow up with is what feels normal and comfortable to you. Right. And, you know, do you want your child to feel normal and comfortable with this bullshit? Like, no, no, no way. Earlier, I was saying, you know, what do we do? Right. Because we're constantly talking about this. We're writing about it. But like, what do we do? And I think we do need to take the act, those kinds of actions that that Mm -hmm. that is the only way we change this on a systemic level. And it's not just talking to our kids. Right. Because they they do what we do, not what we say. You have to leave. And that's hard to say. It's especially mm-hmm. hard for me to say from a place of massive privilege compared to other women because yeah. I don't have this kind of marriage. But you have to leave because it is better on the other side, even if there is a brutal fight, even if there's all kinds of awful things. Most of the time, most of these men do not follow up with all of their legal threats. You know, right. even when they do, it's it's still better to give your child even part-time safety in a house away from this guy than mm-hmm. full-time lack of safety. So that's right. you have to leave. You have to get out. If for some reason you cannot get out, you have yeah. to separate yourself as much as you can. You have to carve out as much space away from the marriage as you can. You know, you have to find ways to show your kids a better model, even if you can't do so perfectly. If you have any doubts about whether you should leave, then you have to leave because you know, a good marriage is not such that you sit around thinking, oh, should I stay or should I go? I have never asked myself this about my husband. That's right. That's um, right. That's what I say all the time. I mean, my, I, you know, should I stay or should I go is my, is my domain with That's what I help women do. And I always say yeah. that I'm like, people in healthy marriages are not Googling that, <laughs> you yes. know? So if you're already asking the question, you're, you're already m- most of the way there. I also think that we need to raise our daughters with really high expectations of marriage. You know, marriage is hard. Marriage is work, blah, 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 blah. Like I have to say that because that's what everyone says. But I feel that we've done women a disservice by depicting marriage as this like endless slog. My husband and I have both had to learn to be good communicators. We've both had to learn to overcome some of the bad ways of communicating we were taught. You know, we both have like negative tendencies. Like I tend to be passive aggressive. Like he tends to be sullen. Like these are things we have to work on. But like you shouldn't be putting so much work into the marriage every day that it feels exhausting. And if you do, you have a problem. Like mostly how I feel in my marriage is really, really happy to be there and like really in love with my husband. And, you know, again, like why be there if that's not what you have? Absolutely. The other thing I'll ask people all the time is like, is this the guy you want to ride off into the sunset with? Like when your kids are gone, when your kids go to college, when, when your nest is empty, is this the guy that you want to, you know, sit on a front porch and, and like, you know, sip slow gin fizzes, (laughs) you know, like, and Usually the answer is, oh, Jesus, no, like, no. Yeah. Well, and I think that, you know, indoctrinating our daughters into like princess culture and like that kind of romance is harmful. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I do think that we should raise them to expect, like, you should feel passionately in love with your spouse, at least a significant portion of the time. You should have a meaningful partnership. You should have the kind of relationship where you can tell them everything, where you can be vulnerable, where you can do all of that. But we've just told them this garbage about, well, marriage is work. And and also it's the woman who has to do all the work. Like he never has to do the work. It's her fault if it fails. It, it needs to be a really good marriage or no marriage at all, because the incredible damage of a bad marriage affects every area of your life, it affects your future. It's, you know, it's very difficult to fully escape the harms of a bad marriage. It affects your health, right? Bad marriages increase women's risk of heart disease. Yeah. Yeah. And and other things like cancer, you know, dementia, like everything, everything. This is not just like, oh, it's bad. It'll make you sad. (laughs) Right. It's, it's, it's more than that. Well, and like another really interesting correlation I have seen among my friends in bad marriages is that they're a lot more likely to have traumatic birth experiences. And Mm. I think it's because they don't have a partner there advocating for them and they have a partner there who's like actively undermining them. I've talked to a number of like midwife and doula and OB friends and they all say like, yeah, that's real. 
that's definitely real. They're more likely to have prolonged labors. They're more likely to have complications. They're more likely to feel bad about their births because, you know, it's this huge life transition. And if the person who's supposed to be going through it with you is like undermining you the whole time, that's, that's really significant trauma. Yeah. Even if they're not undermining you, if they're, if you don't feel safe enough, if you don't fully feel that the person that you're with is your partner to such a degree that they, they've got you, you know, in this most vulnerable time you can possibly be in, um, that can be, that's, that's really traumatizing in and of itself. Yeah, it's, it's awful. And I'll, I'll tell you something to that point. So I'm in a number of like infant loss support groups mm-hmm. and this is an area where, Ooh. you know, the, the household labor inequality and like the abusive husband stuff just comes down and pounds on women because, you know, there's the mommy group bullshit. And then there's the norm that you hear repeated in these infant loss groups over and over again is oh. men just grieve differently. And what they really mean is men grieve by abusing their wives for grieving their dead babies. Um, The rates of abuse in these groups are horrifying, you know, among people who have suffered the worst possible loss a person can experience. So, you know, I I think people need to understand that, you know, a good marriage makes all of the traumas of life better because you have someone there for you and a bad marriage makes them all so much worse. Well, I want to end this portion on a quote that of yours that I loved. You said the personal is political and the patriarchal enemy is in your house. Yeah, I love that. Um, We were talking a little bit and I said I would come back to it about your Facebook sort of request survey. And I don't know how long this is this is going to be going on, but um, maybe some of our listeners might want to participate in this. Do you want to talk about what you and I can't do it because we both make our (laughs) livings on Facebook so we can't jeopardize our uh, standing? I got put in Facebook jail for for a while recently. So I got to, I got to watch. What did you do? What did you do? Oh my God. So I don't know if you saw it, but there's this like viral video of this kid who apparently pranks his parents every single day. And he pranked his parents by smearing the entire kitchen. I'm talking cabinets, floor, everything in peanut butter. No, no. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I said, uh, I, this was like on a friend's post. And I was like, I would kill him. I would kill him if he were my child. So that got taken down and uh, I got put in, I got like reprimanded or something. Oh my God. And then I said, because it was because it's hate speech, because I'm going to kill a fictitious person. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but I don't know. And then I went back on my post and I was like, oh, I just got my, my comment got deleted or something. And my friend was like, what did you say? And I said, I would K and then like exclamation mark. Like I did something, you know, seven, seven, something like that to, to re-say it. And Facebook was like, basically like, nice try. <laughs> now you're oh in jail. God. That's really funny. Yeah. The things I've gotten, I got banned for saying that road rage is common in the United States. I got a 24-hour ban for that. And then my most oh my, my most serious offense was three years ago, I had this dog who I love dearly, but it was just like the worst behaved dog ever. So he mm-hmm. would go out and like roll in the mud and then he'd come mm-hmm. in and like roll on the walls. So I posted something on Facebook that was like, you know, it's raining. And so now we have to burn down the house because, you know, Brody came in and like rubbed on the walls. Um, right. Except I said it like funnier than that, I thought. Yeah. Uh-huh. So this was three years ago and like maybe a month ago, I got a notice that that was incitement to violence. And that I was, <laughs> yeah, I know. I was banned for 24 hours. They moved my business posts lower in the like rankings for a month. I think yep, I me had too. a messenger ban too. Oh my God. I didn't get a messenger ban, but I did get, uh, all of your posts are going to be lowered in the rankings, um, for this, for this, you know, incitement to violence. (laughs) So my, my theory is that once you have been flagged by Facebook for something, you are more likely to be subsequently flagged because I went years without getting any kind of discipline. And then like, after I got discipline, it like accelerated the other day, I had like 12 comments reported and they were, they were all comments that were completely innocuous. I was trying to hire a part-time cleaning person 
And I was posting about how I wanted to pay them a fair rate, basically. And that like, I yeah. thought that the rates that, that people were quoting were too low and was like, trying to figure yeah. out like how many hours they got for that. Um, yeah. And so that got taken down half for hate speech and half for spam. Um, just wow. bonkers. So, bonkers. you know, so but I, but you have a theory about like, this. <laughs> yeah. So I think that, you know, a lot of this is AI, like it's bots removing comments. And totally. it used to totally. be that it was, and there's no discernment. This. There's yes. no, no. So obviously, so AI can only know what you have taught it. So who's teaching AI? AI, it's white men. And so they're giving it catchphrases to look for uh-huh. that they perceive as hate speech. And the people <laughs> who are actual victims of hate speech, Black people, women, immigrants, disabled people, um, have not fed this information to the algorithm. So I think that women and other minorities are more likely to get flagged that hate speech against us is more likely to go unnoticed, um, especially since it's often more complex speech and doesn't follow an algorithm. It's it's more likely to be a threat. Mm-hmm. And I also think that once you get flagged, you're more likely to get subsequently flagged. So I basically ask people to try to post mirroring comments on Facebook. So post men are trash and women are trash and see what happens. Um, and to also just share with me like what they get flagged for and banned for generally, even if it's not mm-hmm. those comments. And I think I put like an April 1st deadline on this, but like I'm interested right. in this over the long term. So yeah. like anybody who hears this at any point can email me because, you know, I, I think probably that data collection period is not long enough. I, I think I'll have to have like a lot of information for like a pattern to really emerge because most sure. most hateful comments on Facebook go unnoticed. Like you have to make a lot of comments. Yeah. I I don't know. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how the data will shake out. Like, maybe I'll be wrong. Maybe it turns out that the Facebook bots are just dumb, which is, <laughs> which is just as problematic. Entirely possible. Yes. So that's, that's, that's yeah, right. Because people depend on Facebook to communicate with others. And so you can't right. just have this weird and arbitrary enforcement. Yeah, I, yeah, agree. So where can people, well, where can people email you with that? And then where can everybody find you, follow you, read all that you, the amazing, amazing content that you write? Yeah, the best place to find me is zon, that's Z-A-W-N dot substack dot com. I have a bunch of other blogs and websites, but like if you find my substack, you can find everything else. People can also email me. Try not to freak out if I don't respond to you because I've had a couple of people like get really mad. <laughs> um, oh. So it's it's Zon <laughs> Z A W N dot Villines V I L L I N E S at gmail dot com. And email the uh, you know definitely do that Facebook uh, challenge or whatever <laughs> posting. And and the important thing that you said is that it's not in the same post, right? So separate posts, men are trash, yeah. and then a different post that says women are trash. And see what happens. Yeah, because if they're the same post, we don't know which thing flagged it. Right, exactly, exactly. So if anybody who doesn't rely on Facebook for their business <laughs> wants to do this, um, and then you can email Zon um, with the um, with the results, that would be amazing. Zon, this has been such a great conversation. I I am such a huge fan of your work. And I will tell you it, you know, among my, certainly my peer group, we are constantly sending <laughs> your work back and oh, forth. Oh, I love that. That makes me so happy. Cause I just, you know, I just want everyone to be talking about shitty men until they stop being shitty. That's right. That's right. And I think it is, it's a matter of opting out, right? Like we have to continue to opt out until yeah. they have to change. They don't have a choice. So it's, it's a strike. It's like a permanent strike. <laughs> you know, that's why yeah, I, you're, that's you're, the way I look at it. Yeah. You're unfuckable. You're unmarriageable, like do better or just be alone. Uh-huh. That's right. And they can't, and since they can't be alone, they'll think that, you know, eventually they'll figure it out. So anyways, on, I, I am so grateful. I'm grateful for your work. Um, everyone should subscribe to Zon's Substack. You can, you know, Substack is, you can get sort of some of the content for free, but if you subscribe, you get more. And um, so I highly recommend subscribing. Thank you so much, Zon. Thank you for taking the time. Oh yeah, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. 
If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at The Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember, you, my love, deserve to be happy.